0: Where are all my vintage cookbook lovers? Maybe you like the classics like The Joy of Cooking, or one of my favorites, Charleston Receipts. Or maybe you dig the ones put out by a company like Campbell's Cooking with Soup Cookbook, or the aptly named Favorite Brand Name Recipe Cookbook. On today's show, I have Bobby Hicks, the man behind Retro Recipes Kitchen, an online video series where he cooks the good, the bad, and the weird from those vintage cookbooks. Hi. I'm Chris Speer, host of Chefs Without Restaurants, the show where I speak with culinary entrepreneurs and people working in the food and beverage industry outside of a traditional restaurant setting. Have you ever seen a recipe for banana mayonnaise and thought, maybe I should try that, but I'm not so sure? Or have wanted to tackle poached eggs in Aspic? Well, Bobby's here to do it for you first, and he's pretty amusing while doing it. But it isn't all fun and games. We talk about some of the challenges of running a food content channel online. You know, the raw products, food, can cost quite a bit. I'm sure everyone knows, especially with inflation right now. Bobby was saying he could easily spend $1,000 a month just purchasing the food. And that doesn't even take into account the time it takes to make these dishes and film and edit all the videos. So his advice is to have a plan for monetizing from the start, if possible. Now, he already had experience with video production, marketing, and working with brands before doing this. So he was a little more intentional about how he set up his channels. If you haven't seen Retro Recipes Kitchen, you can check out his videos on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, I've linked all that in the show notes. I actually think it's a really cool idea because I love so many of those retro cookbooks and recipes. As a kid of the 80s, I grew up with my mom cooking them. I grew up with my grandmother and great-grandmother serving a lot of these types of dishes at holidays and family gatherings. And honestly, I think it's time to bring a lot of them back. I'd love to know what your favorite retro or vintage cookbook is please jump on over to Instagram and let me know in the comments when I post about this episode, or send me a DM. You know where to find me. I'm at Chefs Without Restaurants. And if I'm going to give you one solid call to action this week, it's to please share the show. Share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues. Post about it on social media. Let me know that it's something you enjoy and it's worth my time to keep doing. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show, and as always, have a great week. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Hey, man. Thanks.
0: <laughs> I am really looking forward to talking to you about some, uh, I think it's going to be weird shit potentially.
1: Uh, is that okay to say weird shit? I mean, I, I, my entire life is based around weird shit. So, <laughs> you know, th- th- it'll be fitting.
0: No. So, for those who don't know uh, what you do, you run social media channels instagrams youtube based around the idea of cooking retro recipes is that like a good 5 second synopsis
1: yeah i mean even like the the name of the channel itself is retro recipes kitchen <laughs> so if 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 you weren't really sure what you were getting into <laughs> you know you're going to be in for a surprise <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, you and I met uh, through a friend, Justin Kana. He does, uh, for those of you listening out there, you probably know Justin because he's been on my show a bunch of times. I've been on his show, but we kind of do like this, uh, I don't know, mastermind where we talk with other content creators in the food space. And that's how we connected. And I'm I'm so glad we could, because I had never heard of you before. I don't know how you have like 80,000 followers on Instagram. It never just filtered its way into my uh, path, but I'm so glad that we were able to connect
1: well I, I I'm super glad that we're able to connect also and and if anything this is kind of indicative of just like the social media realm itself you know it's like on on a tiny little rant you know it's it's a uh, it's one of those things where I've been doing this for about a decade you know just just working with brands creating content trying to figure out like the way to uh, people's screens and people's hearts and just kind of like having fun with it along the way and the most difficult thing that I've come across, Consistently, it's just the fact that, uh, creating this content, you invest so much of yourself in what you're doing. You, 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 you don't want to, you know, kill the babies, as we say, like you get rid of any of the good stuff and like you'll, you'll sacrifice hours of your day to do this. And then just to find out that it's not shared to really anyone. And it is one of those things where it's like, you know, algorithmically, you know, it's like we all talk about the algorithm. And it is one of those things where it's interesting because. You would think that my channel and and Justin's and yours and stuff would be cycled around to other people, but, you know, with like-minded interest, but it just never really happens that way. Well, they say in content creation,
0: you really have to niche down. And I think you've done a incredible and insane, like, I'm looking at you and behind you is this whole retro setup. Like, it looks like your living space (laughs) is retro. So it's not just this posing for five minutes a day on the camera. I feel like... I mean, is this your whole life? Like, do you ever just like get up and put on a normal like sweatsuit and T-shirt?
1: Honestly, I, I actually love to live in a sweatsuit and T-shirt. You know, it's like when, I, when I'm when i home and I'm not filming something or editing something, I want to be comfortable. So it's like I'll wear a pullover sweater and I'll wear a T-shirt and I'll wear my Crocs, you know, because like they're just comfy. I can't picture it. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it is one of those things where, you know, I, I genuinely like enjoy go in thrifting. I I love finding vintage clothing and vintage kitchenware and vintage books in particular. And, you know, our house is, is entirely designed to be um, a studio for each room. And because, you know, when my girlfriend and I lived in New York City, you know, it's like we had a studio and then we just made our apartment a studio because we would work with brands. And so it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, coming here, we were like, well, let's, let's just make every single room a different look, a different style of the same idea. So it's like we've done project photo shoots in here and video shoots and uh, the kitchen's a different vibe, but it still is vintage. My girlfriend's like – like our bedroom is kind of like her special studio and it's almost a, like a Victorian style. And it's 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 been a labor of love, but it is very much identifiable of like who we are, where it's like we are – creatives that kind of enjoy the aesthetic of the past but the the you know like the the phrase that i often use with retro spaces is like you know uh vintage dishes but modern values <laughs> <I> <laughs> you like know that. yeah and so it's it, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know we love the the aesthetic of pretty much everything from like the 60s and before but you know we'll we'll stick with more modern up-to-date values when did you make the switch to really going
0: with the food stuff like i I scrolled all the way back through your instagram and it looked like in kind of mid 2021 you shifted from being this kind of stylish model-esque feed of such and then went into food like i mean like you your photos are beautiful. And I want to find out a little bit about that. But you definitely went from less photos of like you and like what you're out and about doing to food. And then it just kind of ramped up from there to like all food.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, as, as I mentioned, like I've been doing this for about 10 years. Um, and it's it's one of those things where when I was living in New York, especially, uh, you know, I was represented by an agency um, and the agency would bring campaign projects. You know, so like I'd work with companies like Nike, with Audi, you know, with Bose, uh, like even J.C. Penny, you know, and a lot of the a lot of like the projects that would come along would be based around clothing or fashion because that's just what brands had money for you know around 2021 you know it's like uh my agent left and you know i am i think it's safe to assume that i'm no longer with them because i haven't heard anything since <laughs> you know and uh so it's like i knew i had to kind of take things into my own hands which was really scary it was one of those things where i've had somebody you know one agent or another actually supporting me and 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 helping bring me work uh for the better part of a decade and when i didn't have that i had to kind of like you know, do what they did and do it by myself. And so I stuck with what I, I was comfortable with. And I knew that the retro recipe channel, you know, the 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 cooking videos were just starting to pick up steam. Which I which I I even tried to tell my agency. I know there's a I know there's a future with this. And I I can see the ways that I can make this work. And you know it's like one of the things that I've always been very good at is, is delivering value for any client that I work with. And I was able to articulate very early on exactly what I wanted to do with retro recipes because, again, for doing content creation for a decade, you know, it's like everything that I do has a purpose to it. And I knew that I was going to create retro recipes in a way that could be um, turned into a monetizing property. Before we go too deep, retro
0: recipes. For those who don't know what it is, retro recipes is you're finding old recipes sometimes very strange recipes and like old cookbooks and then making them to see how they come
1: out. Yeah. So, I mean like the idea behind rich recipes is, is, you know, like uh, exactly as you put it, you know, it's like, I I usually say the good, the bad and the gelatin, you know? Um, And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when it started, I kind of just picked like the strangest, weirdest, dumbest shit that I could find, you know, and, and would make them. And, you know, it's like good, bad or not, you know, it's like, I'd give it a shot And it was a lot of fun because I would make these dishes and then be super surprised because some of them actually, as awful as it would sound, were really delicious. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's one of those things where since then, like I've kind of opened it up a little bit more where it's not just uh, terrible dishes. You know, now I'm just trying to make classic dishes from cookbooks, you know, and just and I think that it's been really great because a lot of people have gone to see these dishes come out and they're and they have like a a strong sense of nostalgia tied to it so i mean you know i'll do something as dumb as like the onion sandwich you know where it's literally like rye bread a little bit of butter and raw onions you know and which is actually surprisingly good (laughs) and you know i'll have like dozens and dozens of people right back against like the hundreds or thousands that are like, you know, that's disgusting. You know, and like I'll have dozens that are like, no, this is amazing. And my grandfather made this or my dad made this. And, you know, it's like, he just passed away like, you know, last year. And so this is really just bringing back these great memories. And, you know, it's like, maybe I'll give this a shot or, and it's just a lot of fun because it's like as dumb as these videos might seem, I, I genuinely think that, like, they are helpful for a lot of folks, you know, in, in some form or fashion.
0: Where did this start? Were you already a collector of vintage cookbooks? And was this something that, like, you had wanted to do for a while before you really jumped in?
1: Uh, So, I mean, like, my background was kind of like, like or at least my forte was, was mostly in um, video production. You know, it's like, a decade ago, I, I saw the value in video way before anybody else did. You know, it's like everybody was still kind of focusing on photographs because that's what Instagram was kind of pushing. But I was like, I want to learn video. And I have a feeling that that's going to be important. So because I taught myself how to do commercial grade video, you know, and I spent years practicing it and and learning and and everything else my focus uh, was more based around the idea of like hey you know what let's do something fun and creative during the lockdown in new york and my girlfriend and i were just kind of stuck inside it was, I was i i really struggled with that because I was a, i'm was, a person that would get out i'm very sociable and i just had to like figure out something i could do and i didn't have the space to do it there but i brainstormed the concept out uh, like enough that i could do it when we moved to the house in florida that we eventually got and so the idea was basically just, why don't we marry the idea of, like, bringing back these old retro commercials? Like Because there are examples that I'd found online that were just super inspiring, you know? Uh, And it was just, like, very nostalgic, kind of like, you know, the way of tomorrow. You know, everything was, like, the product of tomorrow. And I just wanted to make some of these videos that were kind of, like a silly recipe, but modeled after the look and feel and sound and vibe of of like those videos. And I was like, I could do that because I have the good video editing background. I can shoot everything and do this all by myself. And let's just see where it goes. But yeah, so I mean, the idea basically just behind it that it's like, you know, I just wanted to incorporate these vintage dishes with kind of like the modern editing and aesthetic that I could do to kind of match that. And it's just kind of fun because it ended up like working out where we took this silly recipe for bunny biscuits for Easter, you know? And uh, that was the first video that I'd made and we made it look and sound really vintage. But the thing that we were missing also was like voiceovers, you know, and Keiko eventually was just like, wait, why don't we actually ask uh, this girl, Katie, and she'd known her, and she's like, yeah, she does Broadway and she does voice acting and stuff. And so we ended up like hiring Katie for the next video. And since then, like, she and her fiance both do voice acting, and they are the heart and soul of like the retro recipe videos. Like, I would never in my life, I would, I would sooner quit making those videos than use somebody else, you know? Because they're just they add such a depth to them. It's so fun. It definitely has that retro commercial vibe. Like, you
0: nailed it. And, I, you know, I think these recipes are so much fun. This is, I mean, I don't want to say this is the way I grew up eating, but, like, kind of. You know, I'm 46. My, you know, I grew up in the 80s. And, you know, uh, both my mom and my grandmother were doing these things. Like, every brand had their recipes. Like, we all eat the green bean casserole, right? Like, that just 100%. came off of, you know, the canned mushroom soup and the dry onion thing. Like, they needed a way for people to use their stuff. And there's thousands of these cookbooks out there for how to make these, like, Sometimes delicious, sometimes weird, sometimes both like dishes using companies' uh, company's products. And all of the recipes that I love that I remember from my childhood are some variant of kind of these things that you do. You know, you go to your grandmother's for Thanksgiving and there's some weird dip on the table and it came off of the box of some product or out of one of those little pamphlet cookbooks. So I, I love this stuff.
1: It's kind of great for me in a sense, because it's like, if, if you've chatted with people that are like food creators, I think that there's something that either like people may or may not talk about, but it's like creating food content is not cheap. You know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you were going to, you know, make a video based around, let's say like steak and potatoes, you know, it's like just to make content for people to, to kind of download and watch for free, you know, that could cost you let's say 15 or 20 bucks. You know, it's like, if you just want to get potatoes, a decent kind of steak, herbs, butter, you know, like the the smallest little things, they add up so quickly. And so it's kind of fun because like, you know, because of what I do, a lot of it does revolve around canned goods, soups, camel soups, you know, like canned fruits and, and, you know, whatever, you know, it, it, it does make it easier for me to make some of these videos without, uh, breaking the bank per se, because I was going daily, uh, for about nine months. And, you know, the thing that I think people don't understand is that even though what I'm making is not terribly expensive, I was still spending, I feel like sometimes like a close to a thousand dollars a month on just like food expenses, you know? And so it's, it's, this kind of ties back into the, like, uh, like with the brand advertising aspect where people should these days actually have a plan set aside or at least like ready for the future. If they're going to be doing content creation based around this to try to see if they can find a way to monetize what they're doing outside of just like, you know, like, uh, AdSense or like views, like, like, uh, you know, payment for the amount of views you get, you know, because, uh, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be like rack debt if you're not careful because uh, as much as some people can like watching your videos, you know, if you don't have a way to actually pay for it, then, you know, that's going to bite you uh, pretty badly later on. Yeah, it's nice for
0: me, you know, I don't create a lot of content that is not based around my job. So it's, you know, like, I'm a personal chef, and I have have the benefit of someone's already fronted me some money, and I'm going to get paid a decent sum to like do their dinner party. So can I create content while I'm creating those dishes? Although, I do so much at clients' houses, so that's not always realistic, which is the frustrating part of like – I'm going to this person's house at night and it's dark and the lighting's terrible and I'm not bringing my stuff. And by the way, I have to serve them food while it's hot. So I can't really like stop and do a photo shoot in the middle of dinner. So I actually work with leftovers a lot. Like, Mm. um, quite often you'll see me doing some of the prep video stuff, but then the next day I'll come home and it's like, I saved a little of the potatoes from last night and a little of the pork. And like, I can mock up a photo video shoot using the leftovers, but actually doing it on site is next to impossible.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really solid idea, though. It's like, I love, the, I love the, the ingenuity of that because again, it's like, if you want to do an elevated dish, you know, it, it, it's going to take a lot of time, which, you know, for somebody that spends all of his days, like shooting videos and editing and pitching and stuff, like there is no time. <laughs> so to find, to find, uh, the, the best way to do that, like you are, like that's awesome. So are you eating all this stuff at
0: home? Like, is that all you consume in your house is like weird Angostura cheese dips and onion sandwiches at your house? Or do you just like have a chicken parm night?
1: No, it's it's funny. It's like, um, you know, so my girlfriend, uh, Keiko, like she doesn't eat a lot of uh, proteins, like she'll eat chicken, turkey and fish, you know, like shrimp and stuff. And then otherwise, she doesn't really eat. Anything else, you know, it's like we like mostly vegetarian, if anything, you know. And so it's actually great because like I'll make these dishes. Uh, I usually try to like scale down the recipes. So I'll read out the full the the full recipe that's maybe meant to serve eight people. But I'm making it so that it's going to serve maybe three people or four people, you know, because uh, food waste is something I'm uh, like very passionate about like uh, avoiding you know it's like uh, i i have wonderful neighbors that are always willing to take food off my hands um you know the rest of our family is actually really great with helping us take food off our hands and you know it's it's one of those things where it's like i try to spend as much time as possible like encouraging folks to you know like compost their scraps or save their scraps and use those for stocks and like try to teach little tiny side techniques that they might not have known or they might have you know, seeing other people doing videos, but they're like, oh, I don't have to have, you know, uh, f- like a full fresh carrot. I can use all these scraps from these other things as well. You know, I don't know. So it's 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 one of those things for like uh, I just try to encourage good eating habits for others. And then for us, you know, like uh, most of the time, honestly, I don't feel like cooking. <laughs> so like I'll go to the store, I'll pick up a rotisserie chicken and I'll make us a big salad. And then I'll just save the rest of the chicken. I'll put it in my freezer. Um, and so you know, after a week or so, like I'll have a whole bunch of chicken bodies that I can turn into a really delicious stock and <laughs> make it into a soup or something. you know. Looking at these recipes, I want to dig in to some of them
0: because there's Lots of really interesting stuff. What is a recipe that you thought was going to be atrocious that you loved? Is there one or two that stick out that you're like, there's no way I'm going to like this and you're totally surprised?
1: Honestly, like most of the videos I I, I will post, like you'll look at a recipe and be like, oh, that sounds absurd and he's probably going to hate this. And then you'll see my reaction at the end of the video and I'm genuinely super surprised. And it doesn't mean that it's, like, a, a 10 out of 10 banger, you know. But but it is one of those things where it's, like, a dish that I think is going to be a solid trash can, too, turns out to be a 7, you know. And I think, like, uh, a fun, like, recent one that kind of pops in my head isn't actually from an old cookbook per se, although I'll preface by saying I've seen similar recipes, so I know that it would still work from those things. But it was a recent video I did where it was uh, – i was I was uh kind of experimenting with formats and I wanted to do something in a ser- a new series I'm doing called uh, uh antiquated or AI and the whole idea is basically like you know I make a dish. You guys have no idea what you're watching, and you have to determine whether or not you think that this recipe is actually just an antiquated recipe from an old cookbook, or it was generated by AI. And at the end of the video, I, I actually you know break what it was and stuff, and so it was a lot of fun because people would would look at it and instantaneously be like, "This is antiquated. This is from an old book. I, I have four books that probably have this in there." And sure enough, it was actually created by ai like right in front of me i screened and recorded it so you can see it just like processing and creating it and it was a recipe that had like it was it was the canned fruit and bean salad and it was equal parts of canned like fruit medley you know and then it was like canned corn canned black beans canned tomatoes canned olives dijon mustard uh like mayonnaise and honey how did it taste because that sounds terrible. It sounds horrible, right? It sounds it's so insanely awful. I almost feel like I'm forgetting an ingredient, you know? And it was just like, you look at this and it's like all of these things. And it was actually pretty solid. Like it was it was to the point where I actually, because I here's the thing. I hate mayonnaise and I hate olives. Like the, those two things, like if it's in a dish, I'm guaranteed to just hate it. You have know? you had or, good mayonnaise? Like have you had Duke's mayonnaise before? I've never had Dukes. In this recipe, I had finally found a place. I found like an Asian market that sold QP mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. And so I used that. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't even think it matters. You know, you've got that much shit in there. It's like, it doesn't even matter. This
0: whole like AI thing. What was your prompt for the AI? Like, what are you feeding into it to get a recipe like that?
1: I only did the one run, you know. But I, but I had watched some videos before where it's like you kind of have to like go into it with a little element of specificity. So it's like if I just typed in, I, I, I think I literally typed in like, make me a a weird canned food recipe, you know? And because I said canned food, you know, it was able and weird. It had just enough information to be able to like plug it all together and and roll with it like that. But I've seen other things where it's like if you just say, make me a recipe with chicken... It'll give you probably like the most basic thing. So it's like when I do these, like I'll probably um, like moving forward, like I'm probably going to continue that where it's going to have a a particular set of verbiage in there that's actually going to like give it something where it could be related to a retro recipe in some way. So like, you know, make me uh, a, a dish with spam and, you know, like mustard. I don't know, you know, and, and, or like, you know, like, uh, potatoes and, and, uh, pork fat. Who knows, you know, it's like, and I, I and want all of
0: those. I want potatoes with pork fat and spam, like all together, like, uh, um, home fries kind of in the morning or like a hash, like a spam hash.
1: I know. I'm trying to think of like bad examples and I just, even like, they're all delicious. Just can't, I know, my brain can't do it. I'm just like, God, that's, that worked. Oh, and so did that. <laughs> What's one of the worst dishes that you've made though that needs to stay in the past? There are a lot. Um, there are a lot. I, I, I'd I say the two that come to mind, right, um, like I, almost any aspic, right, is going to be like a fail for me. Like I've made uh, I've made about three or four different aspics. Um, and an aspic, if anybody doesn't know, is basically like a, a dish that utilizes gelatin. And it's almost like taking like a soup and then infusing it with gelatin so that it solidifies. And so it's like a solid kind of like cold serve soup you know, but it's terrible. Um, the, the texture of it is just like revolting. And the worst one that I had made, I was actually really surprised by Cause like I, it was, it was from Julia child. It was the poached egg and aspect dish. And it's one of those things where it's like, I love making poached eggs. It's, it's honestly like I get such a kick out of it. It's so fun. I, I enjoy the process. And when you get a perfect poached egg, it's great. So to make a poached egg and then like kind of, you know, Add a little bit of aspic in this in this like container and then let it semi set and then put the poached egg on there and surround it. And it's like you're going back in in waves, kind of like layering it as you go. And to get this done, you know, with all the like the mirepoix and stuff that was diced in there. And I was just like, this is going to be probably not bad. And I got it and I cut it. And it was just the most instantaneous, like, I just wanted to vomit. And I literally, like, spit it up in the trash can, like, a second into it. And I had to, like, put, like, a blur, you know, like, over the screen as I did it. <laughs> it was funny. It made good laughs. But it was one of those things where it's just, like, aspects never fail. Like, they are just the most awful thing in the world. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of Amish recipes that I've tried to cook, like, the cookbooks themselves, are just useless. Because the Amish cook very intuitively. It's always like family passed down recipes. So they'll be like, and you got to make sure you add this ingredient, you know? And you're just like, you don't, you never even give a recipe on how to make that, you know, it's like, and, and their, their specs are just way, way off. And so like anything I've made that was Amish almost always just kind of like, was just a waste of my day.
0: <laughs> it's disappointing because I love so much of that food. I used to live in Me like too. near like Lancaster, PA, and I have a lot of those cookbooks, but I, I know what you're talking about. There's so many of those recipes. That's why, I like, my family recipes, I tried to get my mom. My mom cooked almost exclusively from a recipe but all of my other ancestors didn't. So like we would make my grandmother's New England baked beans. I'm from the Boston area originally. And like my grandmothers would be like half a pound to three quarters of a pound of this and then like scant amount. But I knew my mother had like measurements. So I'd say, okay, when you make this, how much are you using? Because I wanted to make sure that I had that so that when everyone was gone, I would have some idea of what they were doing. But yeah, I have all these little, um, I have some of my books in front of me, but just, you know, like these little note cardy things with like love that. random recipes on them, but you don't always have the measurements. And trying to figure out some of those family favorites has been a real challenge. There's a recipe that my grandmother made that was like a seasoned oyster crackers that she always had as like a snack mix. And today it would be like putting like probably like powdered ranch dressing and butter or oil. But I, I can't find the actual recipe with the measurements. And I it just doesn't taste the same. Like I've followed some recipes online and the ratios are not of what they were with hers. So I'm, I'm trying to wrangle. Like I think there was a lot of Worcestershire in there and like dry dill. And they're my favorite snack cracker, but
1: nobody in my family can find this recipe. That sounds delicious also. And and it is really funny because like uh, a lot of the like, I think what's interesting about the retro recipes that I make is the fact that it's like if you look at if you look at the cooking in a generational kind of aspect, you know, people are always kind of like bagging on like the the food from, you know, the boomers food. You know, it's like you always hear this and it's like if you really take a minute and look back and, and, and think of it in a historical sense, it's actually fascinating because, you know, it's not like inherently we just had bad food, you know, it's, it's more of like the lesson, like the recipes that we were making, we were making these because they were passed down to us. This was way before the advent of the internet. You know, this is, you know, this is before every house had a, a had a refrigerator, you know, it's like back in the day, You know, your grandma would make something, pass it to your mom, your mom passed it to you. But it's like if your grandma grew up during the Great Depression where they had nothing and she didn't have anything to really kind of pass on to you, you know, like her child, you know, as as a recipe to pass down, you know, it's like those recipes were built out of necessity. And so a lot of the dishes that you find are... As weird as they might sound today, like I find like they're actually usually pretty awesome or, or at least like just pretty brilliant because they're able to utilize the most minimal ingredients and create something that, that could potentially have flavor from things that you just never really would have expected. So, I mean, like canned goods, like we don't really like potted meat, but guess what? Potted meat can actually be jacked with flavor. I've made things with like deviled ham that just you open the can and it smells like dog food. But then you mix it with a few things. And it's I used amazing. to eat it out of
0: the can, like plain, like because I didn't like mayonnaise, because I think you're supposed to mix that with mayonnaise. Right. And I yeah. hated mayonnaise. So I would just like pull off the lid and just sit there with a spoon, which it's so gross. It's been ages since I've done that. I probably should see what that tastes like. But I used to love that as a kid would just pop the lid off and just like dig in with a spoon out of the can of deviled ham.
1: Yeah. And it, and it's one of those things where then it, it just kind of gets interesting because then, you know, it's like you have a different generation of kids that are growing up now. It's like the 50s, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s. And it, it's like these people are like it's not like they're just trying to recreate things. This was around the time that like we were starting to bring in more of like a world cultural perspective. People are traveling outside of America now. They are making cookbooks about what's happening over in France, what's happening over in Spain, what's happening over in in, uh, the, like the rest of the entire world. And so then all of a sudden we're finally getting new fresh recipes, but they're bastardized. They're just like the American version because they want to try to make it so that it's like palatable to the, to the home and something that they can get at a grocery store. So you get things that are like, you know, Hungarian goulash, but you're using Campbell's cream of mushroom soup. The first time I had hollandaise, and this
0: is what I thought hollandaise was, my mom found a recipe and it was like mayonnaise, yellow mustard, like bottled lemon juice. And then you just like whisked in melted butter. And like she would poach (laughs) eggs and we would have like eggs benedict. And that's what I thought hollandaise was when I was a kid. Because that's like what we had. And cheesecake was always the instant. It was like the sweetened condensed milk with like you put in a little bottled lemon juice and that would like solidify it. And then you just put it in the pre-made like little graham tart shell with some canned cherry pie filling and that was like cheesecake you know that's the kind of stuff i grew up with
1: it's just fascinating to me because you know when i'm making these again like i get a lot of people like i so demographically most of my audience is actually female and the average general age demographic is between 35 to 45 you know which is kind of interesting to me, I think, because like that's kind of ballpark around my age demographic. But then there is like uh, there's there's like an, a, a pretty solid amount of folks that are actually like born in like the 60s, you know, that that follow this. And like they're always talking about how their, their parents made like this or they did this. And like I'd mentioned before, it triggers this kind of nostalgic reaction for them where they're just like, man, it's kind of like with you with the potted meat, you know, it's like. They look back and just like, oh, this is so crazy. I haven't thought about this in a decade or 20 years or, man, I had that when I was seven. And I can't believe that, you know? This is my cooking for my business.
0: Not all of it, but I am more inspired by this than, like, Michelin restaurant cookbooks and stuff. Like, for all the Fancy Pants cookbooks I have and the Noma books and the Sean Brock books, like... I would rather cook from these community cookbooks. The people dig it. Like last night I did a dinner party. One of my favorite appetizers is called pepperoni spread. It's something I created kind of based on like a ham salad. But You take pepperoni and put it in the food processor with cream cheese, uh, a little mayonnaise, hot sauce, um, some smoked paprika, some dried oregano. And then you put in uh, dried apricots chopped up and put on like sourdough bread with toasted walnuts. People are just like what? Like I love pepperoni, but I've never had it except on a pizza. And just you know, taking this super processed like deli meat and making something really delicious. So I'm more inspired by this type of recipe, to be honest.
1: Well, what I think is interesting is is if you really kind of step back. I think that like we've definitely become really snobby in the advent of you know Whole Foods and like you you can have your option of milk or you know it's like everything this kind of relatable with our culture today you know it's like I think the thing is so interesting is that back then before we really truly understood what to look for with good food they were doing it in their own weird way they were trying it out because with what you're talking about you're taking you're taking garbage food like you said and turning it into something that's great and guess what with that you've got salt you've got fat you've got acid you've got texture you know it's like you got the little bit of smoke and spice. Like, you were hitting on all the parts of your palate, and that's why that kind of stuff worked. And it's the same reason why, I like, that that anchovy, you know, like, the uh, the Angostura dip that you talked about before. I'm afraid of the anchovies in that, though. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. It's, like, it, it's one of those dishes where, like, when I made it, I was also afraid of anchovies. I'm also not a big fan of cream cheese, and so I was just like, I, like, I'm not going to love this, I think. And then I made it, and it's just like when you when you take a step back, you realize, oh man, this all had a purpose. The the angostura gives it like this very aromatic herbaceous kind of quality to it. This almost like a little spicy. The the anchovies gave it like an umami to it that you don't taste any fish, but it gives it that underlying depth that almost like olives could give, you know, where it's like it's salty and funky and weird, but it's like when it's balanced right. With that tart acid that you get from like the cream cheese, you like that that kind of sour quality, you know, everything worked. And I just think that that's the kind of thing that I I love playing with and experimenting with with these recipes because it's like you never know what you're going to expect, you know.
0: Before I started my personal chef business, I worked for a place and we did a food bank fundraiser every year called Off the Shelf. And the idea was that that. I went into the food bank and checked out what they typically had there and then created a seven-course dinner that we were selling tickets for $150 a head for. We would raise like 10 to 15 grand a year from this event. And just do like, how can we really make super high-end, like really fun, delicious food using these canned goods and things that you would just find on a typical shelf at a food bank. And it, it got weird. Like we did... Corned beef and cabbage ramen one year, so I made what I call like corned beef hash dashi. So I took like the Libby's corned beef hash and like dumped it in a pot with like water, and then put some like all kinds of flavorings in there, and then that's like it the out. bonito. So, yeah, so yeah, and like we would uh. I think we did canned sauerkraut pickled eggs. So we took canned sauerkraut and then just like had the pre-hard boiled eggs that you get in the giant bucket and just put them in sauerkraut. So that was like the egg component and just like cut it in half and had this like full on hard boiled cooked sauerkraut pickled egg. Like just it got weird. But we came up with some really cool stuff like canned beet granita like i would take canned beets and like puree them up and like add some simple syrup and freeze it and make like a granita as a palate cleanser that's so fun
1: that honestly sounds almost like a top chef elimination challenge that's kind (laughs) of where it
0: came out of is like as we were brainstorming like what would be the best way to do one of these fundraiser dinners i'm like i can get weird like uh, let's just go and uh yeah I've, i've posted some of those recipes i did a trail mix romesco sauce before. Do you know what romesco sauce is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So like trail mix, like it's got a ton of nuts in there. The chocolate gives it a little something. So almost like a mole-y type. So, you know, like ca- like canned roasted red peppers, canned fire roasted tomatoes. You put like trail mix in a skillet with some olive, like Spanish olive oil and garlic and let it cook down and then just like puree it all up with the canned tomatoes and canned roasted red peppers. And you have this really and like there's dried raisins in the trail mix. So it added a yeah. little sweetness.
1: And to me, that totally made sense. And that that actually sounds amazing. Cause I mean, like, it, and it is funny cause it is like a very common question that I get from folks where they're just like, do you, do you know what this is? And I'm like, yes, yeah. Like I, I, I've, I've spent my entire life like reading books and cooking and and, and educating myself with all these things. And so it's a fair question when it's like, I make really dumb shit like this, but I like, I, I can see exactly what you're talking about. And like, when I watch these shows, like I can visualize how their brain is working when they're doing this. And I think that something like a a trail mix romesco sounds like such an awesome idea that I want to do now. (laughs) I I need to, like, get a
0: lot of these recipes out there because I I, so many of them I was just winging it, and I should probably go back and, like, tinker these and just, like, post on them and um, share them with the world because some of them are delicious. Uh, But you can also, uh, like, make these into really kind of higher end things too. My favorite recipe growing up was something called Greco from my favorite Mm. cookbook. My mom's cookbook is called America Cooks. It's uh, actually have it right here. It's uh, the Women's League Cookbook from like 1967. And you can see all the like pages. Um, But it's you like cook um, shell pasta and then you saute like a green pepper with an onion and then you add in canned mushrooms, canned cream corn, canned tomato sauce, uh, ground beef cooked and mix it with like the shells and bake it in the oven with like cheddar cheese on top, which on its own is delicious. But, you know, I've gone to replace canned mushrooms with like maitake mushrooms and porcini mushrooms and the cheese switch out to like um, a smoked Gouda pepper jack blend and the meat do like a beef pork veal blend, you know, and I, and serve that. And that's something that I can serve to customers and they think it's delicious. Like who wouldn't want fresh corn right off the cob, like make your own cream corn and just use that as like the template for, you know, something that you can really dress up and be like, yeah, here and charge people a hundred bucks a plate for it.
1: It's it's kind of funny because like I've had a lot of people when I do like a live or like write to me in questions and they're like, have you ever considered opening a restaurant or have you ever done this? And it's it like, no, I, I'm not. But it's one of the things where it's like, if if I were to consider doing something like that, it would follow under that kind of vein where it's just like taking these classic iconic dishes and and just just making them really well you know like not necessarily like doing it with a bunch of canned stuff but like for example like one of my uh staple dishes that we we would make my girlfriend and i would make like uh at least once a month i feel like would be a vegetarian shepherd's pie you know um it's just like an easy way to get more veggies in your diet and like i i, forget, I feel like it actually has a different name like it's like a Instead of shepherd's pie with lamb and stuff, it's like a harvest pie or something if it's vegetables. But um but it's like, you know, I make the sauce from scratch and it would use like fresh ingredients and roast the, you know, roast the vegetables to get some caramelization and depth of flavor and all these other things. And at the end of the day, you know, and like make make a really delicious palm puree with like, you know herb infused like you have a bouquet garni and your cream is heating up to really infuse the milk before you put it in the potatoes and all these things and it's like you know like taking these classic staples but just making them a little better than your your grandma did you know or like your mom did or no offense know. grandma no offense grandma you know and I, I just think that it's like that's one of the things that I do I try to do a little bit here and there more just kind of feel like in, in tips like that I point out but eventually down the line like i'm always trying to come up with like a new series like every six months i have like a new kind of style or series that i introduce into things and i think like one of them would eventually like to be kind of like like uh retro recipe remakes you know where it's like i take a bad dish or i take a dish that that was okay but then remake it and and show like folks like how they could do it today um with Modern techniques, you know, and and proper cooking elements and stuff that like they just might not have known, and kind of instead of just going for the cream of mushroom soup, like show them how to make let's say like a really good bechamel, and and you know like you're really getting the most flavor out of the mushrooms and using fresh herbs and you know I don't know you know it's like that's that's something I would like to do as well because I think that educating folks on how to cook is kind of the point.
0: <laughs> but you're also very entertaining, I you know. I think the show is actually successful because of your personality. Like, it seems like you're having fun with it. And I've got to say that whole, like, you're just, like, looking right at the camera, just dropping the stuff right in the bowl. You must have had some messes. Like, for those who haven't seen it yet, like, as you're reading every ingredient off the list, you're just kind of, like, looking straight ahead at the camera and just, like, blind dropping this stuff into a bowl. Sometimes it hits quite often it doesn't
1: yeah <laughs> I, I, th- I think honestly there, there might be like somewhere like a forum that has just like a running bet to see like how many times I do miss things you know like ah 50 bucks you know because like there are days where i make it in there every time and and i'm not like reshooting it you know it's like i'll hold butter like in a jar like over over the dish and just wait for it to go forgetting about the fact that there's flour in there and so when the butter finally like loosens from the warmth of my hand and falls in the bowl all this flour shoots up everywhere you know and it's like it's funny it's kitschy it's 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 definitely something where i i kind of get annoyed with because i'm like i pride myself with being very clean. And so when I make a big mess, I'm like, Oh, oh God,
0: <laughs> I think that's the interesting thing about the social media and this because it's entertainment. Like, yeah. why are people watching this? I mean, yes, sure. They're going to learn some cooking and get some recipes, but it's also entertaining. Like, as I'm like scrolling through this stuff, like I'm kind of bored, like looking at this, like this guy's from, you know, wherever I'm not going to throw out anyone's name, but just like making this random, very
1: intricate, like duck dish. Like I'm not going to do that. And I'm not even really entertained. Like I think that I kind of suffer from a little bit of an imposter syndrome at times where it's like that's probably one of the reasons why I'm always trying to innovate and try new things and push forward and and really make the most out of what I'm doing, because it's like when you look at videos uh, online, especially today, like and, and my feed is mostly filled with just like cooking videos like I, I genuinely love to support others and kind of see what they're doing and just kind of get ideas. But like I pride myself in the fact that what I do feels very different than others. Because, you know, I am putting more of my personality on the camera. I'm engaging more with the audience in that way instead of just like a top down shot of the food. And it is one of those things where it's like I I don't know, you know, it's like I do kind of struggle at times to kind of like consider what I'm doing is better or worse than others. But I I do agree with you in the sense that it's kind of like it, it gets it gets a little exhausting at times just seeing the same the same videos over and over and you can't really tell if it's a new video or not, you know, like sometimes that's the struggle. Did you have a uh, content that popped
0: off? Like you have a lot of people who are following you on your different platforms. Like, was there a viral video or moment or what's like uh, follower growth been like for you?
1: Um, yeah, so I mean, like it, it's kind of funny because when I started the retro recipes channel, we started it just on the Instagram account and it was uh, back in like 2021, um, I'd started it for Easter. And then it was like the second or third video that I did, maybe like a month later, was perhaps to this day, st- I think it is like still very much like the most popular video that I've done. And it didn't happen then. It happened like later on last year when I like reshared it on TikTok. But um, it was a chicken buffet in Aspic. And, you know, it was one of those filmed recipes where, like, I made it look old and sound old and we had the voice acting and stuff. And I made a really intricate TikTok video um, that was kind of going through and making this aspect dish that uh, took me an entire day to make. Because I, I made the consomme, I made, you know, like cook the chicken, I you know, like did everything right. And it makes this beautiful dish. I had the the, the giant jello mold and everything from the, you know, the 50s and makes this really beautiful awesome dish and my girlfriend and I were actually like a little excited to try it out we were like oh this is this doesn't look that bad it kind of looks like looks like a chicken soup you know that can stand up (laughs) and uh, we ended up making it and on camera like we were both expecting to kind of like it's fine we both took a bite and both of us just couldn't even swallow it and we're holding it in our mouth like trying not to (laughs) like and it's just it's this long long video of like the reaction of us eating it which is like about a minute long at least with edits in there because it was longer and and just like our just faces just falling apart and just dying because it's like we desperately don't want to eat this but we also don't want to spit it up and so we're just kind of like (laughs) trying to hold it in and people saw that and and it went it was the first like viral video and this was again like I think maybe like in May or so of last year, just before the algorithm changed, whereas like I was on average getting, you know, 100,000 views, you know, and and my audience went from zero to, you know, I'd say like maybe 30,000 or something kind of within a few months. And it was amazing because I was like, wow, I found my niche. And then, you know, it's like that video popped and it jumped up to 100,000 you know, followers within like a week which is nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, because I also try to, I make it a point to like actively reply back to like as many people as possible. I try to create more of a relationship with my audience rather than just, you know, than just kind of like posting content and just ditching it. You know, it's like, I think that it's very, very important for like keeping your audience. Being social on social media. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, I just enjoy it too. I think it's a lot of fun. People have fun with it. And, and you know, it's like, you can tell who's been sticking around when you engage more. You know, it's like there's some folks that have been watching these videos for like two years and I know them and I talk to them on a regular basis. Sometimes I follow their accounts because like we become friends, you know, Um, but it's like, you know, when that happened, it got really difficult because I had thousands of comments in that. And, and it was one of the first times where I was just like overwhelmed with what was happening. And that kind of shared with me the idea like, okay, this is actually working. I can stick with this. I can make more out of this. Um, and since then, I've, I've not been chasing after getting the viral hit because, uh, you know, like at the end of the day, a viral video doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just means that you're getting exposed to more folks. But the thing that kind of bums me out is that, you know, in in, in the social media market of world, you know, it's like you've got t- tons of videos that are viral, you know, you've got videos of people that have, you know, fail videos, like they they you know, or like like the trick shot videos, and like these are things that go viral really easily. You have People that you know, like do skateboarding tricks that goes viral, but it's like, it doesn't that that's not something that's relevant for everyone. Whereas like I I think food is a universal kind of thing, and so it's one of those things where even though if you were born in India and you're watching a video of me making a really absurd sounding dish, they might still be able to enjoy it just as much as somebody that's in like Idaho, you know, but the, the, the thing that I've kind of been struggling with, especially the last, not struggling, but just trying to understand more over the last year is like, you know, um, the algorithm is basically deciding that, you know, X amount of people are only interested in what you're doing, you know? And, and, when you know, that's not the case. And so I think the viral videos more than anything just kind of taught me the fact that it's like, um, food is a universal thing that's appreciated. You know, it's like you, you could literally have no idea how to cook something and you'd still be interested in watching these videos. And so that's something I kind of would like to see, like an algorithmic change at some point where it's just like, instead of kind of putting people in boxes and saying, okay, your audience is only allowed to see this. And maybe like 10% of your audience can see this. Cause oftentimes like this is genuinely like how much exposure you might get. You know, it's just to kind of open things back up a little bit and just let it kind of organically fall into the, the, the accounts where it lands.
0: Like every time I consume one piece of content that is not food and beverage, then I only start to see that stuff. And it's like annoying how that works. Like I was going to a, soccer game I don't know like four months ago or something so I was like following the teams and stuff on Twitter and now like my for you is all about like soccer and these teams and these players it's like I don't really want to see this all the time like I just wanted to like follow the playoffs up until the finale but like all of a sudden it's like ooh, this guy's really into soccer let's just show him that stuff and it's it's so weird how that works
1: yeah and 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 I mean you know it goes a little deeper as well where it's like this kind of ends up being one of those those indicators of kind of like where the society could be heading as well, because you know, for example, if if your algorithm is telling you what you like and it's not exposing you to anything else, we're going deep now, like Joe Rogan style, <laughs> you know, But if it's not if it's not actually introducing you to the broader world of the variety that that like we used to be able to see and that we all enjoyed, you know, that you're not getting exposed to perhaps more intelligent, you know, content, um, you know, more refined content. And it's one of the reasons why it's like, you know, like as much as people kind of hate on it, it's like, you know, you see just TikTok dance videos or you see like the same things over and over because it's like, this is what this is all people are seeing. And so they're thinking this is what we have to be making. And it just kind of becomes like a death, a death spiral of content where it's just like, these little bubbles are created because of an algorithm.
0: Yeah. I I don't know if we talked about this on the last call or not that we had had, but like my whole thing about, you you stop being creative because we're taught now to follow the trends, like trending hashtags, trending whatever. And for me, like that's music. Like I'm very much like punk, post-punk, indie, old school alternative. It's like my videos could potentially get more views if I'm using the new Taylor Swift song or like the Corn Kid audio. But like I want to use a bad religion tune like in, in my video. And it's really hard to... Do that when you're like, man, but I want people to also see my stuff. So shouldn't I just use whatever's trending? But then we're just making the same homogenous goo that like everyone else is making. Like,
1: great, you then you're use making Campbell's soup.
0: Yeah, we all use the Lizzo sound, and I got two hundred thousand views for that song. But like, I don't really even like that music. I mean, not Lizzo. I mean, Lizzo is pretty cool, but you know,
1: that's that's kind of the thing. You know, it's like, especially as a person that's been doing this for a decade. You know, like that is. One of the things that I, I've always kind of struggled with, and I've kind of found ways to like compromise with things. Like, for example, I use that little jingle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I use that for every single video. I like that. Yeah, and it, it fits with the brand, you know, it keeps it very simple. And it's one of those things where... Um, you know, it's like a compromise. Like I'm there's a lot of other stuff that I would love to probably also use, but it, but it might not be relevant. And so I think if you're able to kind of like step back and find a happy medium and like find something that is, is trending, you know, cause like, that's where I discovered it. It's like, oh, that's actually a trending audio sample. I'll use that because it also fits with the kind of the content that I make. And now it becomes more of like an identity to my brand. So it's like, other little things, like using the exact same background is always really helpful. So like in my kitchen, every video I do, even if it's filmed and not just on my iPhone, you know, it's like it's the exact same background. So if people are watching it, they're instantly able to kind of recognize it. You know, use the same audio, uh, same intros. You know, it's like on this episode of Bring It Back or Say in the Past, we're making the such and such. How many times
0: do you muddle that? Because you say it so fast. Like,
1: do you have to reshoot
0: that a lot? Because I don't know that I could get that out so quickly.
1: No, I, I, I honestly like, um, I try to do single takes for everything that I do. Um, you know, again, it's like the good, the bad, the ugly. It's like, yeah. you know, if, if I, like, I actually shared a video today, um, that I shot yesterday. And it was chicken Kiev, which is like one of the most nostalgic dishes I've ever made. Like, I, I, that is my childhood right there. And I made it from scratch. Uh, from this recipe and as i'm getting ready to eat it I'm just like i'm talking about how this transported me back to being a kid and then as i'm doing i get ready to take a bite like the, the whole thing falls off the fork and it just looked down like oh man you know but it's like that's the that's the goods you know it's like that's the stuff that uh like i actually even just the other day i did a video where i said <laughs> exactly to your point i was like on this episode of Bring It Back or Stay in the Past, we're making the and I realized I forgot what year, because I always say the, the title of the recipe and what year it came from. And I stop myself and I'm like, what year is it again? You know, and then I go back and I say it again like I used it, you know, because I think it is really funny to show like the, the mistakes. Are all your reactions done for the first time?
0: Like the first time you try a bite, is it always on camera?
1: Yeah, always. Always. I I, I make it a point, um so it, let's say like I'm making like a cake batter or something, which which honestly if it's for like a bring it back or say in the past or, or like most of the others, like if it's a mystery meal episode, which which we'll get into if you if you have time, I don't know how much time you have. But with those recipes, I always make it a point to like not taste things as I go, which goes against everything, you know, as a cook. But it's like I'm trying to go into it with the with the most blind perspective of like what this should be tasting like until the very end, because I just follow the exact recipes, you know, so it's like if it tells me a quarter teaspoon of salt. That's what I'm doing, you know, if it's a, when it needs maybe like two tablespoons, <laughs> you know. Um, and so like then it's kind of like I'm able to talk about it and be like this should you know, bring it back or stay in the past. It's like this recipe. It's not bad. It needs some tweaking. This recipe could stay in the past, but I've had this before and I know it's good. So you guys can play with it. And that whereas like with mystery meals, like that's where I bring guests in. And it'll be like a, you know, a chef or a friend or a celebrity or something like this will come in and they'll give me a recipe with just the ingredients, you know, and no instructions. I have no title. I have no idea what the dish is supposed to be. And they'll also send me three video hints. And so I save the video hints, my phone, but everything else is isolated. So I've never looked at the hints. I've never looked at the actual recipe. I just see the ingredients. I'll prep the ingredients. And then I've got 60 minutes to basically make a dish from that and i try to get it as close as what i think it might be and so it's a lot of fun because it's like you know those are it's it's also used as like a proof of concept for a show a uh, concept that i've been like pitching but it's like kind of fun between the competition and silliness and you know it's got like the the ability to bring people in that that have like larger platforms or might be like talented chefs you know yeah i saw dan churchill you've worked with on there and he's
0: he's a uh... He's a pretty great guy and chef and has a large audience. And
1: Yeah, I've known Dan, I've known Dan for a little while um, back in New York and stuff. And you know, it's funny because like I reached out to him and it, it took us oh, like six months to kind of like really lock down a time because he's just the busiest person I've ever met. You know, and it, but it's fun because it's like, you know, the way I try to pitch it is like it, it ta- if you give me 10 minutes of your day. You just all you have to do is choose a recipe and then just do a little intro, read the ingredients, say three hints and then you're done, you know, and then I'll take care of all the rest of it. And so then that way, like I have the ingredients, I film everything, I cut it and then I use it as an opportunity to kind of like help promote people as well. So it brings my audience a little exposure into their world so that, hey, you know, like they might not have actually... People may have seen Dan's videos before, but they might not have known that Dan also makes a chorizo line, like a vegan chorizo. Or, like, they might not have known that, you know, he's on the Drew Barrymore show, you know, or might not know him at all. I love
0: that. Like, having a community of like-minded people. Not even always like-minded, but just kind of in the same space. And uh, how do you work together and do some cool stuff? That's why I love having this podcast, like having you on. Thank you, yeah. It was great having you on the show today. Thank you, guys. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much. As always, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community's free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.